0: Well, good morning, everybody. I am so glad that you're here. Are you guys glad, glad that you're here? Anyone? Anyone? I'm awake. Are you guys awake? I hope so. Um, well, I am, again, thankful that you're here. We have been in a series, and we've been going verse by verse through First Peter, and eventually we're going to end up in First Peter 4, starting at verse 1, looking at verses 1 through 6. But before we do all that, I want to tell you something that has been encouraging me at the gym recently. Of course, it's you know, just coming out of you know, the season where people get back into the gym, and there was this, this couple who's just started to come to the gym, I don't know, probably late, late December, and they've been still coming, and I'm really encouraged by seeing them because they come in and they're the type of people who go to the gym and they most likely hadn't been to the gym and really didn't know their way around or what exercises to do or even how to use the equipment. And so what I've been really encouraged with is seeing people who, who I know have been going to the same gym that I have for years, they're going out and walking over and helping these people to kind of help them walk through, hey, this is how you use this equipment, or this is how you do this exercise. That's really, that's really an awesome thing, and that's been really encouraging me. I've been sitting across the way, like watching this happen, and I thought, man, that, there's something really good about that. But, you know, here's the reality. Sometimes when we make these commitments, we don't have somebody telling us what it is that we're supposed to do. I didn't have that years ago. I got serious about running, and I mean, I had seen people run, you know, so it's like not a mystery. But I'm like, okay, that's how you run. But yet, when it came to actually running, I didn't know how to run uh, to run well. Still don't know how to run well, but to even run it, it in my own way. So I went to the gym and. I started studying what other people did, and they were on these things called treadmills. I know some of you don't even know what they are, but these things called treadmills. Uh, maybe some of you you have one, have those, and they're in your garage, and they've got clothes sitting on them or boxes and stuff. We've been there too, so don't get me wrong. We we've been there too. We just got rid of the treadmill to get rid of that too. But that's neither here nor there. <clears throat> so I went to the gym, and I'm looking at these people on the treadmill, and I was like, I'm seeing them on the treadmill, and. And if you go to the gym, there are actually people who are really good on treadmills. Have you seen this? Like, sometimes you just see a video of somebody, like, dancing backwards on a treadmill, literally backwards. They do that at my current gym. It's weird. I haven't tried that for obvious reasons, mainly my health. But, so when I went to the gym years ago, and I decided I'm going to try and start running, and I'm going to learn how to run. So I'd look over at these people on a treadmill, and I'm like, how hard can it be? It's like, you get on the treadmill, you click the start button, and then you hit the Beep, 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 beep. And then basically it starts the tread and it starts going faster and faster and faster. So I, I'm watching the person. And I was like, this is easy. Beep, 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 beep. Okay, I'm trucking. I'm doing all right beep 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 a little bit more a little bit whoa, we're gonna back this thing, beep, beep beep, now this is not my heart rate, by the way, my heart rate was skyrocketing at this point, but it's like then i'm I'm trying to learn how to do to to run on the treadmill, and I'm like trying to figure it out, and then I saw this other button that it said incline, and I was like, what would that do? beep, beep 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 beep, no, we're bringing that thing right back down to ground level, so then i'm I get on the treadmill and I'm getting a little confident and you know maybe a little too confident i'm looking around instead of looking at the machine and i'm trying to distract myself so i don't sit here and count every single step to finish my run so i'm looking around and kind of doing this doing this but i wasn't paying attention to where my my left leg went you see my left leg was a little sneaky because my the middle of my body was here but the tread was here but my my left leg was a little sneaky and then it slid off of the tread Just about half of it, actually, half on, half off the tread. And just about that moment, and it was just in a moment, all I knew was then it, all of that weight from the tread and momentum threw me right off the back of the treadmill, launched me off of it. Now, I I want you to know when this happened, I've never really gone to a gym that was a nice gym the, the gyms that I've always gone to are more like rocky gyms than actually like, like nice gyms. So this one didn't even have like the little disconnect that you put on your shirt just in case an incident like this happens and the treadmill stops. It didn't stop. It just launched me off the back of it and it's still, it's still spinning. I got up embarrassed, but I got up, shut it off, shrugged it off, and then, and then did my thing. You would think that I would learn my lesson from that. Fast forward, I don't know what span of time, but again, this was years ago. Fast forward, staying at a hotel. And hotel gyms are very sketchy in their own right, because usually, like, oh, we have a, a gym at the hotel. And sometimes it just consists of, like, literally a set of dumbbells and a bench and, like, some exercise ball. I have no idea what the exercise balls are there for. Like, you can't even play catch with the things are so big. So, I mean, it's, I have no idea what to do. Anyway, so at this particular hotel gym, there's a treadmill. And the room is really small and cramped and weird. And it it felt a little bigger because one side of the wall had mirrors, but the side that I was on, the treadmill was kind of trapped up against the wall. So I don't really deal with claustrophobia well. But I thought, well, I'm going to get on the treadmill because there wasn't much at this particular gym for me to do. So I got on the treadmill, and I knew the game. I mean, beep, 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 You know, you're doing your thing. And I was like, I was trucking along, kind of not paying attention. This leg again. Sneaky. Half on, half off the tread. Launches me off the back of the treadmill, but because the treadmill is so close to the wall, then I actually punch a hole in the drywall with my body. Now, the only thing that really got hurt was my pride, and then a lot of it got hurt. I'm not gonna lie. But I did what anyone else does in that situation. I, I hoped and prayed that there was no video surveillance in the room, and I was the only one in there, and so because of that, I just shut the thing off, and then, and then picked all my stuff up and left there as fast as I possibly could. And to date, they haven't sent me a bill, so let's keep that streak alive, okay? I tell you all this because, you know, sometimes when we want, we want to make goals, we have to kind of figure it out, and sometimes it's not that easy. Like, it's just not that easy. Even running on a treadmill, you think, well, it looks easy. It's actually not that easy because there's a lot of things you have to do right to stay in the middle of the track. You get a little bit off track, well, you know what happens, right? And even when it comes to the Christian life, sometimes to live a life of faith, we can think that it's actually going to become easier than what it actually is supposed to be. And, now bear with me, sometimes we can actually think that living out the truths of the Bible is just so easy until you try and live them out. Or we think, you know what? I got saved, so everything else is going to be easy because now I'm saved. Now, I'm, now I know I'm going to heaven, so everything should just be you know, easy from here on out. And that's just not what a life of faith is, what we're told it is going to be in the Bible. But also I want you to know this, if you're someone who actually thinks that the Bible is easy to live out, you're probably not living it out. And you're probably what Jesus would have called a Pharisee. Think about that. Like it's not easy to live this out. And yet in the story that I started with, how the, the couple was there, and the, some of my friends from the gym went up there and told them, hey, this, hey, here's how you use the machine. This is how you do an exercise trying to encourage them. That creates a great metaphor for what the church is supposed to be. Because living a life is not supposed to be easy, but you're not supposed to be doing it alone. It's not supposed to be easy. If it was easy, you would need the Holy Spirit of God to help you do it. If it was easy, you would not need a community of faith rallying around you to encourage you to do it. And what I've seen is this, we, we treat our faith like the government treats our health care. We privatize our faith, and we privatize our health care. We privatize everything else, and we think, well, this faith, it's just about, it's about my walk with God, my individual walk with God. It's my path with God. It's my, my life. So all of these things, it's just about me. But I want to tell you, if you actually look into the Bible, that's not what it's supposed to be at all. Because another metaphor that would be used is that the church is like a body. the Apostle Paul would talk about this body in such a specific way. He would say that that if one part of the body is missing, the rest of the body should know it. And that the rest of the body should feel that they're lacking something because they're not in it. So while this is not easy, I want to encourage you with this. And this passage is not going to be easy. I want you to know the only way that we can actually live this out is by being dependent on God and by leaning upon the community of faith. This is what the Christian life is supposed to be about. Not about your individual walk with God. Not about how well you are doing in life. But it's how much that we can surrender to God and and our willingness to surrender to God and then live out these truths amongst the body of believers. In 1 Peter... It's hard to believe that we've actually been in 1 Peter for this long, but in 1 Peter, what he's talked about over and over and over, he's given different vantage points on how a Christian is to live a life as a stranger in the world, but also as a citizen of heaven. As a stranger in the world and as a citizen of heaven. So it's this life in between that we have to figure out. It's this life in between that we live in submission to God. It's this life in between that we need one another and we lean upon one another in the good times and in the not-so-good times. So now as we get into this passage, there's the, a word, therefore, that's mentioned here. And what Peter is connecting is what he just talked about. And he talked about what Jesus had done. And it says this in chapter three, verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So now he's connecting these ideas and he says, this is who you were, but this is who you are. And now he's going to spend the rest of the time in this passage and also in next week's message. He says, and I want to show you the difference between the two. And he says, "In just in case your life is being lived out like you used to live it, you need to do something about it. So he's saying over and over and over, and I'm going to parallel these two different ways of living your life. He says, there's the old way. The Apostle Paul would call that the old man or the new man, the new person that you are in Christ. And now Peter, he navigates his, his audience and us on how to live our lives between as strangers of the world, but yet citizens of heaven. How can we live in such a way that it it is good for the world, but it's also glorifying to God? Those two things aren't at odds. They're actually in sync. This is what it says in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Here's that transition. Verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. Another translation translates that as this, that word dissipation into wild and destructive things. He says, so they think it's strange that you don't just plunge with them into the same flood of wild and destructive things. And he he continues, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regarding to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. So how to live this life between? Notice right here in verse 1, Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, Arm yourselves with the same attitude. Now, the words arm yourselves has a military connotation. It's intentional. What Peter's trying to carry out, and it's the same thing the Apostle Paul did in his writings, is that the Christian life is one that requires training. Like, if you're training to go into battle, it requires training. Just as if you were to be trained to be a soldier, they would have to train you on what it means to be a warrior. It's the same connotation for the Christian, that a Christian is to be in training, and in that training, it's going to take a grit and toughness to live out the Christian life. This is a problem. This is a problem because you probably have not thought that the Christian life took grit and toughness. You probably thought the Christian life, all I need is love and tenderness, and everything's going to be fine. It's going to take grit and toughness. It is. It's going to take grit and toughness for you to be the the man or woman of God that he is wanting you to be. It's going to take a grit and toughness to lean into your past and not walk away from it, but to lean into it with God's help so you can overcome the obstacles that have hindered you in your life. It's going to take a grit and toughness for you to not ignore the, re- to, to ignore the things that you want to ignore. It's going to take a grit and toughness for you to face the realities of why is it that I run away from hard things? Why is it that I run away from hard people? Why is it that I run away from the very thing that God is wanting to do in my life that's going to produce a Christ-like result? Why am I running from these things? It's going to take a grit and toughness. It's going to take, what did, what did Peter say? It's going to take the same attitude that Christ had. Peter goes back and forth and back and forth through this message, but he's consistent in this message of drilling down. To, to persevere well is to be like Christ, to be like your Savior. And again, we think in our country, we're like, I didn't, there's no persecution, there's no suffering going on around me. I mean, physical suffering, but not spiritual suffering. I mean, I got up this morning, I got up when I wanted to, I ate when I wanted to, I listened to whatever music I wanted to, if I want to, to listen to Christian music on the way into church, I would have. I, I'm going to leave from here, and if I want to sit and I want to stand up in a restaurant and say Jesus' name, nobody's going to be running me out of the restaurant. People are probably going to Clap. Like, we can just tend to think, well, just because it's this way where we live, that it's that way everywhere. But I want to give you, in this talk, I want to give you some perspective on different persecution that's going on around the world. And this is one of the topics that Peter is covering here. This is one of the topics throughout this whole letter. So, again, I want to give you some perspective. And at the end of this sermon, we're actually going to pray for those who are being persecuted all around the world. Here's some perspective. Every six minutes, a Christian is killed for following Jesus. Every six minutes. Just because it's not happening in your neighborhood doesn't mean it's not happening in a neighborhood. Every six minutes, a Christian is being killed for following Jesus. Let the weight of that sit heavy on you. When you tend to think that, oh, uh, my faith is, is just so compartmentalized and it's just about me and it's just me and Jesus and, and it's just Jesus in me time. That's just what we do. It, you may think that it's that way. You may actually live in that way. But there are people living a very different Christian reality than what you are. Let this statistic also sit in. 58% of more of the 7 million Iraqi and Syrian refugees are Christians. So, before you start talking about refugees and you start raising the American flag, how we're all nationalistic, we're Americans, I just want you to know that the people who you may be politicizing and maybe going against, or you're putting on your social media, or you're liking all the whatever side you align with, I just want you to know of the people who are actual refugees a vast percent of those refugees are actually refugees because they're Christians. So before we say we shouldn't let them in or we should let them in, whatever the case may be, we shouldn't be so American-minded that we lose being Christ-minded. More than 58% of more than 7 million Iraqi and Syrian refugees are Christians. And they're simply being evacuated because they call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And most of these things are happening in what they call the 1040 window. The 1040 window, it's a, it's a latitude and a range, the 1040 window, where most, not all, but most of that persecution is happening in the world. You can research it, I actually want you to research it. So just because you live in a safe neighborhood and your kids can go out and play and your kids can be involved in sports and you can have all the Jesus paraphernalia and all over your car and you can say all you want and on social media, I just want you to know that's not the reality for a vast percentage of people in the world today. That's just not their reality. And your faith is tied to their faith. Because if Jesus is your savior, also know that he's their savior. So they're actually part of the body of Christ too. Living on a different continent, speaking a different language, but brought together under the unity of the spirit. Sharing the same identity about being in Christ. Back to our passage. Verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in the body is done with sin. So arm yourself with the same attitude. I found a story that was pertinent, and this is actually a story. It's very recent. Many times when we talk about persecution, we, we tend to... I think even compartmentalize the persecution, and we think of people like Richard Wurmbrand, who's an amazing man of God. You need to study out his, his story. Google it later. It's amazing things, but I think so many times we compartmentalize the persecution and think, yeah, that happened decades ago or thousands of years ago, and I'm so glad that we don't live in this time frame. But let me tell you something that happened with the Boko Haram just very, very recently. There was a young man who was a university student in northeast Nigeria, Young man was a follower of Jesus, really connected with his church there. And some boy soldier with Boko Haram, militant, radical terrorist, heard or seen somehow that he was a Christian. But as, as this young man is on his way home from college... He gets ransacked by this boy soldier. And the last thing that we know about this man, who was the university student, who was a follower of Jesus, the last we know about him was from a video where the young boy soldier who's committed his life to terrorism at Boko Haram basically just unloads the pistol into the back and into the back of the head of this young Christian for nothing simply because he was a Christian. Even more recent than that, just a few days ago, actually, there were four Christians doing humanitarian work. They were kidnapped. That was 13 days ago. I I don't even know what has happened with them yet. Four Christian people doing humanitarian work. They're kidnapped. Again, whereabouts unknown. So... This idea of, of having the same attitude, remember, and again, and I hate to harp on this, but but it, it bears repeating, so many times we can actually view the Bible through American Christianity and not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is bigger than American Christianity. American Christianity has a bubble that's formed around it to think, well, this is just the way that it is in the world. And then And then, consequently, we can actually think that we're better than everybody else in the world because we live here, and we're not enduring what they're enduring. Simply not the the truth. And we need to humble ourselves, and we need to repent of those prideful beliefs. Back to the passage. What was happening in Peter's time is this. The Romans thought that the Christians were just boring people. They hated them. They thought they were just boring people because the Christians stopped participating in in the theater, all of the things that were about the Greco-Roman culture. They loved theater, but the theater was very sexually charged. It was very sexually charged. Well, the Christians stopped attending the theater because it was that way. The Romans hated that. They, the Christians, stopped attending the things that were happening in the amphitheaters, in the gladiator games, and those types of things. They just, in all of the, the the corruption and killing of people and animals that were happening in the in the amphitheaters themselves, they stopped attending these things. So the Romans started to hate the Christians, and they started to think like, how could these Christians actually? I, I, but, They must hate people. As a matter of fact, this is what, you can actually research this later. This is actually what one of the the Roman senators and historians of that time said. His name was Tacitus. He said this of the Christians. He said they have a hatred for the human race. He said that the Christians have a hatred for the human race because this is the only way that he, he could explain why the Christians didn't want to participate in all of the Greco-Roman things that were going on. But the Christians had to separate themselves because, because again, everything was so sexually charged and because it taught that that people, they weren't honoring people and had the killing of people that was happening in their day. One thing I know about us is this. Back to our passage, it says... To arm ourselves also with the same attitude. Again, that's from, right from verse 1. When our attitude is right, our actions are usually right too. If our attitude is right, then our actions are usually right. If we go into our faith with an attitude that, hey, it's not just about my faith, it's about a shared faith. It's not just my individual compartmentalized walk with Jesus. It's my walk with Jesus that I'm supposed to be rubbing shoulders, sitting at tables with, understanding that that you and I are actually part of the same body, so I need you in my life and you need me in your life. And that you are incomplete without me and I'm incomplete without you. If we go into a life of faith with this attitude, most of the time, our actions are going to be better following that. So, of course, this is the reason why I believe, the reason why Peter says right out of the gate, he says, you need to have the same attitude. Because out of this attitude is going to follow the actions of a believer. Or, if you have the wrong attitude, an unbeliever. If you would go to the left in your Bible, and I am going to show you really the basis for this hostility that exists between Christians and non-Christians. And 1 Corinthians 1, hold your place in Peter, we're gonna be there in a minute. We're going back. But in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18 through 25, this is what the Apostle Paul said to a church in, in a place called Corinth. He said this, he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, meaning us Christians, who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those for whom God has called, meaning saved also, called out of sin into into. Everlasting life, both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. The world simply doesn't understand our perspective. It can't. Because apart from Christ, they don't have spiritual eyes to see what we can see if we're in Christ. As a matter of fact, in other places in the Bible, it would talk about spiritual blindness. Those who don't know Christ are spiritually blind. Those who are in Christ have the eyes to see and they have the mind of Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians. So now Paul explains to us, he says, the reason why the world doesn't understand you is because it can't understand you. It doesn't see what you see. And what they think is wisdom is actually foolishness. But notice this in verse 23. But notice what the Apostle Paul said. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, To Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the very power to live the Christian life and is the very wisdom that we need to to live the Christian life. So let me just tell you in, in very simplistic terms the power of God is available for you to get through. Everything in life. And the wisdom of God is available to help you get through everything in life. I'll tell you in a different way. When we were part of the world, we mimicked the world. When we were part of the world, we mimicked the world. We looked just like the world, we were doing what the world was doing. And in this, there's no hostility because the world isn't threatened because you look just like them. This could also explain as to why you've never had any opposition for your faith. Because maybe what you have believed is, I can be saved and have a salvation apart from discipleship to Jesus. Do you know that in the New Testament, those two things are never actually separated? Salvation and discipleship to Jesus start at the very same time. The very same time. So when we're part of the world, we actually mimic the world. The world's not threatened by us. As a matter of fact, the world would be encouraged by our behavior because if you're mimicking the world's behavior, then, then it reinforces them. And They think, well, all the better. Let me show you a contrast though. But when a Christian lives as a citizen of heaven, they're a mirror to the world. In other words, our lives present a mirror so that the world sees who the world really is. That we're not mimicking their behavior. Instead, as we live as a contrast community devoted to God, as we live as what Peter would say, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, and our identity and purpose is rooted in Christ, then we become a mirror to the world. That's the reason why the world is hostile to us. Because what we do and how we live our lives then gives a mirror to the lost world. That's the reason why there's hostility because they're challenged because we're not like them. Back to our passage. The original passage. 1 Peter 4. Verse 2. He says, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. In other words, he says, here's the transition. Here's your old way of living, but you're to be living in the new way. Now, notice what he says in verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of wild and destructive things. So now he gets into a list of things that Christians should avoid. That Christians should avoid at all cost, mind you. I'm going to really drill down on one of these and just mention the rest of the things on the list. This list is is a very familiar list. This is all over the New Testament. This list are things very much connected with these words. But let's drill down on what it says. It says, those living in, how the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery. Again, he's trying to show them, hey, this is what the pagans do. Christians, don't be about these things. He says, this is what the pagans choose to do. First thing he says is he talks about Debauchery. That's a word many times when we get into the Bible or even into a, a word that we only see in the Bible. If we don't understand it, we kind of dismiss it like, OK, I don't understand it. And I'm not smart enough. Moving on. But we're, we're going to really drill down on this word because this word, I think in this word, I think there's so many similarities to the American culture and also what was going on in the Greco-Roman culture. And it was the same thing that, that Peter was telling them, hey, you need to avoid these things at all costs. Now needs to be something that Christians listen to and we arm ourselves uh, with likeness to avoid these things. So the first one on the list was debauchery. The ESV translates that same word to, to sensuality. The root of this word is licentiousness say all that to say this, to give you kind of a summary definition. It means living without any regard for moral restraint, especially in giving oneself over to acts of sexual immorality or acts of physical violence. I'll say it again. Debauchery is also sensuality. It means living without any regard for moral restraint, especially in giving oneself over to acts of sexual immorality or acts of of physical violence. This idea of licentiousness or debauchery or sensuality, it can mean, and it may include the way that we dress. Also, it means that if you dress in such a way just to appear sexy or to get somebody else's attention. Ladies, I will say this. Let me give you a real-world scenario. Be very careful when you're taking your selfie that your selfie isn't elevated up just a little bit so you can take the selfie so your, your, your beautiful face shines through, but also your cleavage. Being real with you. That's debauchery. That's sensuality. You may wonder, well, what does that look like in real life? That's what it looks like in real life. Ladies, again, I'm not, I, I'm not going any farther than what you already know. Before you take that picture, don't make sure that you don't push your chest up just so you can get that picture right, just so you can make that guy look at you and notice you and notice your cleavage. That's debauchery. This is what Peter is saying. You need to avoid these things at all cost. That's not all debauchery is. That's part of it. Some other things that would be considered in debauchery is this. Simply viewing any... Sexually explicit media. Does that mean you need to govern your Netflix? 100%. Does that mean if as a follower of Jesus, there should be things that you will not watch on television? Absolutely. Does that mean that there's something on cable television that you need to have the wherewithal to say, no, 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 that looks like debauchery. I need to avoid it. Yes, that's exactly what that means. Does that mean that there are some magazines you stay away from? Yes. What about movies? Yes. Regular television? Yes. Outright pornography? 100% hard or soft core pornography. That has no place in a Christian's life. None. No place. Going even a little step further, debauchery would also include sexting. And if you're grinning at the thought of me saying that, you perhaps are caught in debauchery right now. And the grin on your face should be tears in your eyes from conviction. If a boyfriend or girlfriend ask you for some nudes, that's debauchery. Just so we're really clear in what this is, that this isn't just some biblical word that we can kind of put in some compartment and say, yeah, that doesn't have to do with me. That absolutely has to do with us. Every one of us has been affected by the things that I just mentioned. And a Christian should stay away from them. Down the list, lust. This is not just talking about sexual lust, this is lusting, just a longing, evil desires, especially for something that's forbidden. Especially something that's forbidden. Just a lusting for the thing that you, you know that you shouldn't have, that it's forbidden, but wanting it and desiring it. Drunkenness, a surplus of wine or alcohol, of course. The other words, orgies, could be translated as carousing, rioting. Carousing is the next word, and that means drinking parties. Again, Put this in whatever application point in your life that you need to. And the next one is detestable idolatry. And I'll give you another definition for this. Idolatry is this. It's honoring or the placing of anything or person above or alongside of God. That's idolatry. So it could be very, very vast. And again, when it comes to these types of things, if especially people that are older, they say, no, this really, that's, those are young people's sins. Like, I don't, I'm not even thinking that anymore. And that's simply not true either. And you may think, well, once I get married, those sins are going to go away. They really don't. As a matter of fact, what we can actually see is from the second wisest person to ever walk on earth, the older he got, the more sexually perverse he got. He started out what's believed with his, his first wife, that it was believed that she died, of which we get the writing of the Song of Solomon. And after she died, Solomon married what would be his second wife. And this was Pharaoh's daughter, his second wife, somebody who he should not have have wanted to be in a relationship with at all. And then he married another foreign woman. And then after that, she, but the desires were within him, turned him away from God and into idols. And the longer that he lived, the more wives and concubines he collected. So this isn't just a young person's sin. This is just a person's sin. This doesn't go away. The desire for this corruption doesn't go away. We all need to be repentant. We all need to be reminded of these things. And we all need to learn how to live the life that Peter is talking about in this letter. Now let's continue on. Galatians 5. I want us to see something else from this. The, the stakes are so much higher than what we actually think they are. And sometimes we can just dismiss things like this and say, yeah, I'm saved, whatever. I can, I can live my life however I want to. And, and we need to be really, really mindful of the words that we're saying and the beliefs that, that are actually there because it is, it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks is what the word of God says. So in Galatians five nineteen through 21, it says this, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality. By the way, that would, every sexual sin I just mentioned would be on that list. Under sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not me trying to impose a rule on you. This isn't you can't now say, well, now this is legalism. No, no, no. I just simply read what the Bible said. So we need to do what the Bible is telling us to do. You know, I realize that when we get into passages like this, they're, they're tense, and the room is just dead silent. I get it. Because if we're honest, some part of our life has been affected by, by the list of sins that Peter just mentioned. They either were affected or they are affected. And the only right attitude in this moment is not put your head down in shame like, oh, well, I guess I'm a terrible person. I'm going to hell now. That's the worst thing to do. The rightful thing to do is say, oh, God's given me an opportunity to confess that sin and repent. God's given me an opportunity to write to my life right now. God's given me an opportunity. God has, he's bought me back from my sin and my shame. I don't have to live in shame. Now God has given me a second chance. And we simply need to do what God is leading us to do. But I can tell you what some of you are gonna be tempted to do. Some of you are gonna be tempted to walk out of this room and just be mad at me. And that's really sad because this wasn't even about me. This is about what God wants for you. This is what God is showing you. This is God's pathway to victory. And he simply wants you to walk in it. You know, I started this this sermon by talking about the people at the gym who didn't really know what was going on and didn't know how to do things and how encouraged I was about people coming alongside them and saying, hey, this is what you do, and this is how you use the equipment. And and I did that on purpose because that also creates a great metaphor for what the Christian life is to be about. So if you have felt the sting in this message, like I have, I want you to know that there are people here who want to walk with you. You're not alone. That if you're in, if you're in Christ or, or if you don't even know Jesus, but yet you, you, there's something in you that is compelling you to say, I need to know Jesus, I want you to know there's a group of people here who love you and care for you. Who want to show you how to, how to live the life according to the book. We know that you can't just do it on your own. We can't do it on our own we also know that you can't just say, well, it's just me and God. Because just as I heard a long time ago, you can have Jesus in your heart, but you have grandpa in your bones. You need the Holy Spirit of God. You need a community of faith to come around you to know why you do the things that you do. That's what the abundant life is. It's not just salvation when you stop breathing and your heart heart stops beating and you die and be like, well, now I get to go to heaven. No, you can actually be a person about the kingdom of God today, living the abundant life today, living life in victory today. That's what Peter's getting at. That's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm inviting you to. Would you stand? I know this message sits heavy. I know it does. But I want something for you. God wants something for you. Stop living in the way that you used to live. Start living in victory. Have the attitude of the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ living a life of hopefulness in victory and peace and comfort and purpose and identity that's rooted in him stop trying to relive your old life before the blood start trying to figure out what life is life beyond the blood while you're being washed by the blood that's the life you need to press into And if if you feel indifferent with what I'm saying right now, my heart breaks for you because that means that the Spirit of God is not speaking to you. If you are indifferent to my words right now, listen, you can listen with your ears and not hear me with your heart. If you are indifferent to my words right now, you are in the most dangerous possible place that you can be because the Spirit of God has been quenched in you or is not even speaking to you. The, the pure fact that that's happening should drive you to your knees. It should. And if you're, if you're not moved spiritually, maybe it's because you're dead spiritually. Because Christ is not in you, it's just you in you. And that may work for a little while. But let me tell you, Life's coming. And it's a locomotive up the tracks. It's a couple stations up. And there's this, there's this moment that's happening. And that train's going up the tracks. And it's, it's at full bore. And you're getting ready to cross those tracks. And there's going to be a moment in time where you're going to wish that you had done something with Jesus. Would today be the day you do something with Jesus? Would today be the day that you stop pretending? Would today be the day that you actually step out of the, uh, of the line of chairs? You step out and you come forward and say, I don't know Jesus. I've been playing church. I've been playing Christian for a long time and I don't know Jesus. Is today the day you're gonna be honest with God and honest with yourself? Is that, is that gonna be your, is today gonna be your day? Is today gonna be the, the day that is the first day of the rest of your life? Or is today just going to be another page in your story? I don't know how God is speaking to you, but I trust that He is. Maybe for you, you are in Christ. And yet, going down the list of things, you're like, I'm caught up in that. And I don't know, I don't know how to get out. Maybe the first sign of humility and just confession and repentance is for you to come forward and just tell God, say, God, I've tried this all by myself. I made this all about me and I'm powerless to change. And maybe that's your, your action. Maybe the first action is that admittance to just come forward. Just to tell God exactly how you feel and what you've done and ask him for forgiveness. I don't know what he's driving you to do. But if you feel like I feel, God is calling us to do something. What is that something for you? As we continue and AJ plays and, and we sing, if God's moving in your heart to do something and to come and pray, I want you to come forward and pray. I don't even want you to pray in your seats, I don't. That's way too comfortable. In your seats is way too comfortable. That's where the pretty fake people live. Isn't? They live in their seats. Let's not be those people. Let's be the people who are real before everybody else and real before God and say, you know what? I don't have it together. So if you're going to pray, I just ask you to pray at the front. If you're not going to pray, stay right where you are, and that's fine. But let's not be fake anymore. Let's be real in Jesus' name. Amen.